Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. This is now our fourth sermon in our study of the book of 1 Peter. In chapter 1, the focus we found was on what God has done for us. Let me remind you by reading a few verses. Here's verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, now here's what he has done. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But, here it is again, what God has done for you. He has redeemed you with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Then we moved into the first half of chapter 2. And that was teaching us on what God says about you. We looked at this last week. You are acceptable. You matter. You are valuable. You are forgivable. And now the next two and a half chapters really deal with how to live out loud for Jesus. We might call it living God's way. Why is this important? Well, for one, Peter is going to tell you that your life is a witness. Your life is a testimony. Listen to one verse of this text from another translation. People who do not believe live all around you. So live in such a way that they will see the good things that you do and will give glory to God. Peter says they will see the good things that you do. Now, the Greek word for see really means observe. And why is that important? Because to observe something is to give it more than just a a passing glance. This is concentrated effort. This is sustained looking. And what is it that these others, non-believers, are observing? They're observing whether or not your walk matches your talk. They're watching to see if what you say you believe matches what you do. They're watching to see if you have integrity. You see, one of the hallmarks of the Christian life is integrity. Peter is going to teach us in our passage for today that there are three things that test your integrity. And people are going to observe how you respond to these things. How you respond to these three things will determine how good of a witness your life is. Listen to the word of the Lord This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters 
not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? For if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The first test of integrity. The first thing that's an indication of how good of a witness your life is, is determined by how you respond to temptation. You heard it in verse 11. Peter says, move away from temptation. The the phrase that he used in our translation was, abstain from sinful desires. Move away from temptation. In the New Testament letter by James, he put it this way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So what does this look like? If something tempts you, bring God into that situation. Pray that the Lord will remove from you that tempting circumstance or remove you from it. And by the way, you cannot do this on your own, not with any lasting success, but with God's help, you can. You see, Peter knows that every temptation is enticing. He says that these temptations wage war against your soul. That's some pretty strong language. He's saying if you don't want to get stung, move away from bees. If you don't want to get burned, move away from the fire. Move away from temptation. Don't let it get the best of you. Don't let it trip you up in life. Why? Because you are foreigners and exiles here, Peter says. The Living Bible translates it as visitors. In other words, you're temporary residents in this place. You're just passing through. What he's saying is that your real home, if you're a believer, your real home isn't here on earth. You're just passing through. You'll be here only so many years. So don't get hung up. Don't get attached. Don't get too cozy with this world because you're not going to stay here very long in the grand scheme of things. When all those things tempt you to make the things of this world the most important things in your life, realize I'm just passing through. Look, we all know how easy it is to get caught up in our culture, to go along with the flow. And if you live around a certain sin long enough, pretty soon you start becoming comfortable with it. When you hear the use of profanity as commonplace or the Lord's name taken in vain as a common occurrence, pretty soon you start to think, you know, that doesn't really bother me so much anymore. Or you watch enough sex and violence on TV or the movies or the internet and you get to a point where you're desensitized to it. Peter warns, then you're being induced. You're in trouble because you're slowly caving in. 
I can't tell you how many times someone has asked me, can you be a Christian and still do, and you fill in the blank with your favorite vice, can you still be a Christian and do this? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you can. You can go out and do all kinds of sins. But the integrity of your faith in Jesus Christ is your stop sign. Or how about this question that Peter addresses? What is God's will for my life? How can I know God's will? Verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It is God's will for your life that you live with integrity. It is God's will for your life that you, the way that you live matches with what you say you believe. It is God's will for you that you be an advertisement for Jesus Christ at work, at play, in your community, in all of your encounters. It seems that this world, much too often, is looking for anything at which to find fault with Christians. The media seldom has any positive stories of believers. So here's the big idea of what Peter is saying. You cannot control the lies that people say about you but you can control the truth. You do have control over that. So I want to live my life, and I hope you want to live your life in such a way that others have to make up stuff about us in order to accuse us. That's what it means to move away from temptation, that they have to make up stuff in order to accuse us. The second way that your integrity is tested is how you respond to authority. People in government, law enforcement, your boss, any authority figure over you. How you handle that reveals your maturity. Listen again to verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Peter says respect the emperor. In our case, it's the government. Respect those also who are sent to punish those who do wrong. And he begins this whole discussion with the word submit. That means to show respect for, to yield to. In this case, to show respect for and yield to those in authority. What does that look like? What does that mean? When you think of yielding, well, think of it in terms of driving. When you approach a yield sign, what do you do? Or at least, what should you do? Yield means the other person has their way first. That's the mark of a true, mature believer. You don't have to have your way all the time. You're able to yield. You're able to not be selfish. You're able to submit. Now, let me be clear. Submission, yielding. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of self-control. It means I don't have to have my way all the time. Peter says there are going to be people who watch how well you as a believer respond to authority. Your boss, the government, law enforcement, whatever. You are to respect them. Why? Peter says for the Lord's sake. You don't respect them because they deserve it. You respect them because the Lord has allowed them to serve you in this way. He is saying it again. If you call yourself a Christian, you represent Jesus Christ. 
So does that mean that I have to show respect for, accept the authority of, yield to tax laws? <laughs> Unfortunately, it does. What about traffic laws? Well, you may be like the guy who said, the last thing to get saved in my body is my right foot. Look, every other part of me lives for Jesus, but not my right foot. And in case you still don't get it, Peter reiterates in verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's look into these four a little further. First, show respect to everyone. Every person is a child of God. Therefore, prejudice is inconceivable in the life of a believer. It's inexcusable for a believer not to show proper respect to everyone. Think of it this way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That means that Jesus loves every person, no matter their size, shape, color, background. Second, he says, love the family of believers. You may not like everyone in this church or your church, but you've got to want the best for them. You've, you've got to pray for them. Why? Because he says we are to love each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God together. Third, Peter says, fear God. Now, there's nothing new in that statement. The Bible calls, calls on us to fear God over 300 times. So what are we being called to do? Well, it's not fearing God as in be afraid of him. It's used in the Bible as a sense of awe. In other words, that God is God and God is in control. And fourth, Peter again calls on us to honor the emperor, the authority, the government. Now I have a hard time with this verse, especially when I think about Peter's audience. Remember when Peter is writing this letter, Christians were the outcast of society. They weren't able to meet freely as we can. They were hounded and hunted and persecuted. And Peter says, honor the emperor? Chances are when Peter wrote this letter, it was Nero who was the emperor at the time. Nero isn't just a bad emperor. He is an, an insane emperor. During his reign, he slaughtered thousands of his own people, murdered his own mother, a stepbrother, two rivals, and an ex-wife. He also burned down his own town just so that he could clear the way to build a palace uh, only after blaming it on the Christians. Nero was an insane, dysfunctional person to the max. Honor the emperor, Peter says. How? By honoring the position, not necessarily the personality, but by praying for both the position and the personality. It's like honoring your parents. The Bible says, honor your parents, and you say, well, what if my parents were bad to me? How can I honor my dad? He was, a, he was a horrible dad as I was growing up. Or how can I honor my parents when they were both alcoholics and abused me? You honor the position, not everything that they do. They may have been terrible in parenting, but at least God used them to bring you into the world. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So honor the position and pray for them. Now what if the government tells me something that 
is disobedient to God. Well, obviously, you and, and I, our first allegiance is to God. Peter's not talking about some mindless compliance here. If there's a law that says do this and that's contrary to the word of God, then I hope you and, and I will stand up for what's right and be willing to face the consequences of doing what is right. Do you have an employer? If so, then that employer is in a place of authority over you. We are to yield to and respect our employers. You may say, well, you don't know my boss. It doesn't matter. Let me paraphrase verses 18 and 19. Be good servants to your masters, not just those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. What counts is you continue to be a good and faithful worker for the Lord's sake. So let me ask, what is your attitude at work saying about you? Does your attitude show integrity? Do you show grace? So your integrity will be tested. How good of a witness your life is, is determined by how you respond to temptation. It is determined by how you respond to authority. But perhaps the greatest test of all will be how you respond to suffering. Nothing reveals your character quicker than pain and problems. When you go through suffering, it reveals what you're like. I've heard it said of Christians that we're a lot like tea bags. You don't know really what's inside until you put it in hot water. And in case you didn't know this, as long as you live on earth, you will experience suffering. You will have problems. You will have pain. Fortunately, God has given us a model of how to handle suffering with integrity. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And how did Jesus handle suffering? He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not fight back. Is that not the opposite of our culture? We live in a fight-back generation. We want to get even. We even get upset over the smallest of inconveniences. If your food order is delayed, you get hot under the collar. If someone cuts you off in a parking lot or you get shortchanged at a store, you want to make sure everyone around you knows how irritated you are. When was the last time you took an injustice and responded with grace? And if you give me a day or two, I might be able to think of a way. Now I know that there are certainly some unhealthy people who take this to the extremes. At one end of the spectrum, you have those who will persevere and preserve their injustices at all costs. And at the other end are those who think, I'll just be a doormat in life. Again, no one is talking about mindless compliance. The fact is, for most of us, that's not our problem. Our problem is that we never let God have a chance to partner with us because we're so quick to go ahead and act on our own. The Bible says Peter is letting us know that people are watching to see how Christians respond to temptation, how you respond to authority, 
and how you respond to suffering. In which of these three areas do you have the most trouble? Is it in the area of temptation? That when no one is looking, you kind of let things slide because you assume no one's watching. But you wouldn't let those things slide if someone were watching. How about authority? Are you refusing to yield? Let me give you a whole different illustration of this. this is what I did earlier in the sermon. In marriage, you take two insecure, imperfect people and you put them together. They're both going to demand their rights. And in that case, there'll be problem after problem. Marriage should be a submission contest, a yielding contest. In fact, we'll see more of that next week. Or do you have a problem with suffering? Do you gripe and complain and secretly try to get even with people? Or do you by grace say, God, I'm going to let you help me through this. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.